All right. So, welcome to another Ambush podcast. This is number 10. And I've delayed um, making another one because I had so many notes that I didn't know if it was possible to split it up into two. However, all of these things go together so well, I didn't think it was a good idea to split it up. To split it up. And so I decided, all right, maybe this one just might be a longer one. But I hope it will be an exciting one because I have, um, well, these have been some thoughts that have rather excited me. So this one's going to be called Brennan Manning and Holy Foolishness. Okay. Um, I'll get into why it's called Brennan Manning and Holy Foolishness as we go along. But before we do, I want to kick it off with a story. So in 2015, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. So I hiked from Georgia to Maine, all along the Appalachian Mountain Range, 2,189 miles. That might sound brave or courageous, but it could also be really stupid. Um, You could say that in some level, there might have been some stubbornness in me to keep going through all of that, to hike over so many mountains and through streams and rivers and sleep outside for more than half of a year, but it was lovely in a lot of ways. However, when we got to um, New Hampshire, we were passing through. No, I'm sorry, this was in Vermont. I was in Vermont, and I had somewhat of a reputation as being someone who used to work at a church, as someone who used to be in professional ministry and to be paid to do it. And so I remember sitting in a circle, and I remember thinking on some level, I felt as though people trusted me more because I had left that subculture, you know? And I remember being in a room at one point. We stopped in at a hostel, and we were surrounded. There was maybe like 13 or 14 of us. And before everyone, one person asked me, why is it that you still are a Christian? And it kind of stumped me for a moment, but the only thing that could come to my mind was it keeps me guessing. I can't explain it away. Every time I think I've got a good hold on it, it surprises me with a whole new angle that challenges everything in my worldview. And so, of course, the common critiques came up about it maybe being a myth or that it was an invention of people who just needed to personify their idea of a god into some incarnate figure. And I understood all of those arguments and I've heard them before. But the thing is, to every one of those critiques, there was a mystery that kept that critique as though it were insufficient. Then I remembered a Latin phrase, credo quia absurdum. I believe because it's absurd. Or it could be translated, it is to be believed because it is absurd. Faith is absurd. 
it is an oddity and it is something of which in a post-enlightenment world that is so wrapped up in what is empirically provable that it seems like it makes no sense. But maybe that's one of the best reasons for it. Because it's so absurd, no human would actually come up with this stuff. In some sense, history is only written because it's unique. Because it's different. Because it stands out. Because it is out of the norm. Maybe the whole story of Jesus was written down. Because it was a unique event in the course of world history. But Brennan Manning was a Catholic priest who left the priesthood to get married. And then his alcoholism caused his divorce. And so there he was, an ex-priest and an ex-husband. And out of some of the depths of some of those nights that he must have had, he came up with this phrase. And it was really his distillation of what faith is all about. And it was, God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Because frankly, none of us will ever be as we should be. That's an absurd statement. It soothes on some level, but we have to stop and think like, wait a second. If there is a creator of the entire cosmos, this creator of the entire cosmos not only knows of my existence, but also on some level actually shows and exhibits love towards me, even in my imperfections, even in my frustrations and shortcomings, that the infinite would look at someone so finite with favor? Come on. Come on. Credo quia absurdum. There is this idea that I've always really enjoyed that on some level, it's actually biblical. It happens in 1 Corinthians, a letter from a pastor to a church where he says this whole thing will be seen by many people as foolishness. But to others, this will seem like the very power of God. And so born out of that phrasing, the Eastern tradition of the church, Eastern Orthodox, which isn't really talked of that often in Western culture, came up with this idea that the saints are the ones who are the holy fools. They're the ones that are the oddities of culture. They're the ones that don't quite fit in. They are the ones who by all accounts, are seen as idiots and madmen. 
which that's what the word prophets means. If you look it up in the Hebrew, the word is nevaim, which literally translates as those who are outside of themselves. Those people are out of their mind. Those prophets, those original fools of the faith. So out of this, uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky was a Russian author who had obviously exposure to Eastern Orthodoxy. And he wrote a whole book on the idea of a holy fool. Of someone who is just absurd because they believe in this absurd faith. And so the book is called The Idiot. And in it, there's a... Uh, a character, the main character is Prince Meishkin, who does not seem at all to care that he's a prince. That royalty title means almost nothing. That's not even a playing card to be brought up or exhibited. But he travels around Russia, and he's invited into different parties, and people enjoy him, and they laugh with him, and he laughs at himself for things that he has done. But at the end of the day, at the end of the party, at the end of the night, he is always thrown back out on the streets. Because as the title suggests, he's just an idiot. He doesn't get how culture is supposed to be. He doesn't get aristocracy. He doesn't get that society has a class systems. He doesn't get that money is the way to get things done. He doesn't understand those things. He doesn't play by those rules. In the last podcast, I talked about reclaiming metanoia, okay, or metanoia, which is a word that's often translated as repent, but it really should be changed um, or translated as I change my mind. But in that passage, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I was looking at the Greek again, and that's another poor translation. Because the word there isn't world, it's aeon. Do not be conformed to this aeon to this age, to this era. And so I'm led to think that you know how there's such a thing as groupthink? That when a group of people get together, when there's a system or an entity or a collection of people, they tend to sometimes have the same way of thinking. They tend to have the same way of operating with one another. It's sometimes it's uh, overt and written, but sometimes it's unwritten. And sometimes it's subtle. This is how we act. This is how we talk. This is how we are. And yet here's a passage in the New Testament that says, don't give in to era think. Now, there's two things that are exciting about that to me, because in the earlier translation, when it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, that seems so easy. 
for Christians to look condescendingly down on people who are, quote, in the world. Don't think like those people who are not in the church. Think like us. But that's just another version of groupthink. But when we look at it and we see it as do not be conformed to this eon, that even leads me to think maybe we shouldn't be thinking like how all the church thinks too. Now that sounds a little scandalous and I understand that might be pushing it a little far, but hold on. The saints always did that, didn't they? The saints were always the real reformers of the church because they were reforming it from the inside. Yeah, the saints were holy fools because they didn't give in to the groupthink of people outside the faith, but they also didn't really give in to the groupthink of people who were in the faith. I think of St. Francis. And the church leaders of his day didn't know what to do with him either. What if what it means to be a saint today means to be someone that doesn't fit in to culture and its expectations, but maybe even doesn't quite fit into the church and its culture? Credo quia absurdum. I believe in this because it's absurd. And maybe we can add another bit to that. And because it's absurd, I'm becoming absurd. And maybe that's okay. If Jesus didn't fit in, what makes us think that we would? And so back to Brendan Manning. He always thought that the kernel of the Christian story was not believing in a set of beliefs, that you have to hold to each and every one of them equally, which I think is difficult for some people. When they want to investigate the church, they feel pressured that they have to believe in a hundred specific things, and they can't commit to this life of faith until they do that. But what if the boils down to this one simple sentence that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Whew. Brennan Manning had a phrase that he would use. It was French. Now, I might mispronounce it right now, but I always loved it. L'amour de Dieu est folie. The love of God is folly. I wonder how many people who consider themselves Christians would say that sentence. I think sometimes we get into a habit of systematizing the faith too much, of trying to understand too much of trying to make it docile or predictable or safe. 
But what if the people inside the church learned to say the same thing as those that were outside of the church and said this love of God is just absolutely crazy? But that we're crazy about it. Isn't that what it means to be a saint? Isn't that what it means to maybe be a holy fool? Me Without You is one of my favorite Philly bands, and they have a line that says, You've made a holy fool of me, and I've thanked you ever since. In our modern culture, we don't think highly of fools. We put them down. We might entertain them for a bit, and we shove them out on the street at the end of the day because they don't have a place. But really, they do have a place because they critique our systems, and they critique our groupthink. They critique our era think, and they cause us to stop and recognize that we have settled for a status, a sat, a status quo. I think... the best saints who have ever helped the church to be what it should be are the ones that have embraced this holy foolishness and maybe not have accepted the fact that others will call them a fool or that others won't have a place for them but at least know that they should be thanking God for making them into such a fool. Because this is all about being a fool for love. This is all about being a fool for the love of God. It's not creeds, it's not arguments, it's not denominations, it's not books, it's not teachings, it's not classrooms that are going to push the church into what it should be for the third millennium of its history. It's the holy fools that are going to help the church to be what it should be. And in some cases, to be what it has forgotten it should be. Credo quia absurdum. I believe this because it's absurd. And lo more that the U.S. fully. This love of God is complete foolishness. But now that I believe it, how could I or you or us do anything but be thankful for it? Hmm. So if I f could finish with a benediction, it would be this. Go and be a holy fool. The world needs it. Till next time.